from the desk below. Desk of Low. Now I have with me with a Polar Weekend, the Skillionaire. He's called by a lot of aliases, but his professional name is Thurston Howell the Third. I just want to say thank you, Ken, for taking the time out your day. No doubt. Thank you for having me. Well, how are you doing on this fine Saturday? I'm doing great, man. Cleaning up, good vibes, blasting some music. You know, getting ready for my day of running around. Um, so you've been on the go since a young young man, sir. Um, so I was curious if you can take me back to the childhood days of Thurston Howell III, because I understand that your family was literally like the warriors. Like you, you lived the life of only people can dream of. That's what made you who you are today. Well, you know, my family was all involved in the gang life. You know, growing up in East New York, Brooklyn, and Far Rockaway. You know, so they were all intertwined in that lifestyle and that whole dress code of things and things like that. I'm talking about, you know, my mother had like 10 brothers and sisters and we talking about everybody was involved, you know? Yeah. It, it was a beautiful experience, man. But I remember like a lot of their rumbles, their big wars, you know, seeing bonfires happening and cocktail bombs being thrown and house being raided by the police and, you know, all the madness, man. Just, just the time, you know, we grew up in and the mentality they was in. And I also understand, too, that, like, the New York subway systems are a different world than what would the people actually see that don't live there. Yeah, definitely. This, this, those are the veins of New York, man. So, it's a whole world down there, a whole nother world, man, a whole different atmosphere. You know, they even have their own police for the subway, the transit police and things like that. Like, you know, you get to see people from all over the city and then the state and, you know, all kind of characters and talents and just a variety of things that you wouldn't even imagine exist down there. Now, one of the things that I admire about you, Thurston Howell, is the third, is that you never got sucked into the drug life or drug dealing or drug using too. And I heard in a recent interview that you said you hate drugs. And I was like, wow, that made me give you a whole lot more respect for you when I heard that. Because, man, I hate drugs too, man. Just So just to see the environment that you came from and that you made something positive of your life was really inspiring. I mean, drugs, drugs had a big part in destroying my family, man. You know, I saw it firsthand in my own household. So, you know, 
just seeing what it did to my family members <clears throat> really was enough for me to not to want to touch anything. Like, I've never popped a clip in my life, you know? Wow. Uh, there's, there's, I've never tried anything. I've never tried no cocaine or acid tab or... I've never tried anything. You know, I've puffed some weed. Yeah. I still do. But that's not a drug. That's natural from the earth. Yeah, that's legal now. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, other than that, even that, I, was, I wasn't really into weed smoking in my early low life days. I didn't touch the stuff either. Okay. You know, I was just really against all of it, even in, in being a drug dealer. You know, a lot of low lifes were going that route in the 80s and you know, I was against that as well. I didn't want no parts of it, you know? I didn't want to be having to do anything that had to do with drugs because it hurt It hurt me in the past, you know? The, the things about drugs hurt my heart, hurt, hurt my experiences in life and things like that. So I really felt real strong against it. Have you ever, like, taught something like a mentoring program to help other kids and teenagers about your experiences too because you have a long history too like um like because i understand like the jim brown program changed your life yeah i mean going through the jim brown program as a mandatory thing you know it it it, it helped mold me man but you know when i graduated the jim program the Jim Brown program, I became the facilitator. They offered me the job to facilitate it to other inmates and things like that. So I took it as a job and taught it for a while. So from there, I also went on to teach incarcerated youth and, you know, kids in group homes. I became a counselor and things like that. So, you know, my hands were somewhat in in it already, you know, dealing with the youth and, and just the other inmates but, you know, it's also, even though I don't teach it as a program out there, but it's definitely the way I educate any kid around me. You yeah. know, I'm always trying to feed them the knowledge, the wisdom, you know, including my own kids. Letting them know, you know, the consequences of life, just a uh, decision-making process and things like that to help guide them. Because, you know, me and my son, I tell him about this all the time because he's like, oh, Dad, you're always trying to give me knowledge. I'm like... That's when I slap him in the chest and I'll be like, Psh. you know, nobody ever did this for me. You better understand how important it is. That's why I, I give it to him so much. Like, if he has any kind of question about anything, I'm giving him full meanings, definitions, and everything because I want him to know as much as possible, you know? Well, that's the true definition of a role model, model and father. I'm glad I could be one. You know, it's crazy that I didn't have that. And today is my father's birthday. That's a crazy thing. Oh, really? You know, and, and I, I posted a picture earlier just, you know, giving thanks to my father. And I saying I was proud to be his son and everything because he died when I was only three years old. So I never got to have him as a role model or, or follow his footsteps or be guided by him. So, you know, I always tell my son how fortunate he is to have that. And don't never take it for granted. I mean, I tell everybody who has their parents that. Yeah. That's, that's true, because you only get one, and that's all you got. Yeah. 
Um, so, do you have any success stories that a kid's life that you turned around that, that just really sticks out to you? It's like, wow, like, I really helped this kid out. What is, like, is that all of your success stories? I mean, when I, when I made the transition that I did, I, I, I'm sure I helped a massive amount of people. You know, I, I changed so many people's lives just by showing them different directions, you know? And I mean, there's so many that stick out that, you know, I'd rather not mention, you know, to yeah. glorify myself for anything. But I've changed many people's lives. You know, the, the way I was introduced into film and to Jim, Jim Brown program and things like that, the way I got involved in it, it were, were people reaching out to help me. And, you know, the only thing they asked me in return was to make sure I paid it forward to other people. And I've always done that since that day. So I believe there's a countless amount of people that I've that I've helped turn them around or did something, you know, to make their lives more beneficial according to where they wanted to go and be more inspired or even just give them more enlightenment, man, on things and how this world works and consequences. But I'm sure I've had, you know, my hand in a lot of people's lives, man, and, and to help them out. And I feel good about that. I believe, you know, that's why I feel blessed in this world and I receive the things I do because, you know, I'm continuously doing that. And what they say, too, is when people do good things, too, they they always get good things in return without them expecting them to because you don't do it for money you don't do it you do it to change people's lives and that's so rare nowadays because most people would just do it for the money but yes it is nice to be paid but you do it to change people's lives i mean a lot of times man when you don't focus on getting paid it comes to you as long as you you're doing what's necessary you don't have to focus on the money you know, it'll come to you as long as you're, you're going down the right path and putting in the right work, you know, to obtain it. Yeah, that's very true. Now, like your life, has anyone referred to, when you tell them, when you open up or they listen to your interviews, has they ever referred to your life as like a movie before? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure at some point you can expect to see that movie. Oh, wow, okay, so that's definitely in the works. I mean, there's so much in the works right now, the possibilities are really unlimited, so, yeah, you know. Because your first free day at MTV turned into 10 years, like, and during that time, you learned a lot of skills, like, but then, and then all of your albums, too, always had, like, a skill set in it, too, but when you were at MTV, you learned production management, uh, building a set. Um, can you remember, like, the first set that you ever made? Uh, I can tell you my first day okay. at MTV when I first showed up. Like, you know, I came in as a production assistant, and, you know, I was asked to show up at uh, the Viacom building at 1515 Broadway in Manhattan at 4 o'clock in the morning to, to, you know, to be picked up to go to a shoot somewhere. And I had no clue of who, you know, who, what I was going to do. I had no idea of, of set life or any of that. You know, I showed up, I'm, I'm this guy from prison, work release program, you know, I'm, I look very intimidating, you know, my muscles are bulging, and you know, it's, it's kind of obvious where, where I just came from. Yeah. But 
I remember a van pulled up, 15 passenger van, actually two of them pulled up and people started gathering at four o'clock in the morning. Coffee and things like that were happening. And then, you know, I was, uh, a woman introduced herself as Benita Husband. She was the person who actually invited me on my first couple of shoots and things like that. And um, we went to the MTV Beach House in the Hamptons for my first day of ever working. So, you know, it was it was real intimidating for me because of the environment I came out of and then the environment I'm standing within now. I did not want to do anything to mess that up. I oh. didn't want to tell people where I was from. I didn't even want to tell people about me. Yo, I never wore polo or anything to the job. Like, you know, oh, wow. I always came dressed to work, like, you know, like a worker, you know, painted up clothes, boots. Yeah. You know, it was always that kind of situation where you're getting dirty. So I just kept to myself and I did anything I was asked. And, you know, when I went to do the job, it was actually supposed to be a free day of work. I went to work for free. <clears throat> and then I remember we're shooting, you know, in the Hamptons at the beach house and we're, and we're beachfront as well. So while we're shooting on the beach, it just started pouring out of nowhere, man. The rain just kept, started coming down. Now, there's all this expensive equipment out there. And I mean, I, I don't know anything about production. But only thing I could do is use my strength and my muscles that day. And I'm, I remember just picking up every piece of equipment and running over these hills and sands to shelter the lights and all these other pieces. You know, I felt that's where my value came in at that point that day. And I did that so much to the point where I was completely soaked to where I had to take off all of my clothes to put them in the dryer, you know, at the beach house, you know? Yeah, and so, when the people, well, when the with the manager or whoever was running must have saw that, too, like, yo, you don't know how much equipment this guy must have just saved us, too? Because, like, what you said, too, it was pouring outside. I mean, everyone was so nice and, and polite, man, and treated me so well. And, and everybody knew where I came from. Everybody knew I came from a work release program and things like that. It wasn't a secret, you know. Um, but, you know, everybody just was so nice to me. At the end of the day, uh, Bonita Husbands came to me and she said, we know, you know, you're supposed to work for free today, but you think it's okay if we paid you? Would the program be all right with that? And I'm like, hey, you got to, you know, you got to ask them. Yeah. Because they wanted to pay me, and they did pay me for that day. And then wow. she, from there, she invited me to the next shoot. She was like, hey, we would love for you to be part of our next shoot with us. We're doing, because uh, I worked on their on their promos mostly. Okay. You know, the commercials and stuff. So they invited me to shoot the John Stewart show opener when he first, took Arsenio's spot. Oh, wow. Like, and so that was my second shoot after that, you know, just going through the meatpacking district in Manhattan, all these different locations at night, and, you know, shooting the stuff for John Stewart. <laughs> now, I understand, too, like, later on, too, like, you had, like, access, like, as later on, like, you build relationships with people, too, and you show... As a hard worker, you know, you advance throughout the company. So I understand, too, that you had, like, a lot of access at, at MTV, too. Like, I heard that you even tried to battle Rat Kim, too, when, when he showed up. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I was stepping to everybody, man. I actually battled Coolio one day okay. at, at one of the shows, you know? Now, I used to have a lot of fun, man. I would target every MC that would come into the place, but I would do it quietly where nobody knew what was going on. You okay. know, when I worked at MTV, it was still an all rock and roll place. Yeah. You know, but you didn't see too many uh, hip hoppers coming through that often. You know, the more commercialized ones were passing through. So, and you know, I didn't want to uh, jeopardize my job either. So I did it very quietly where nobody knew what was going on. Yeah, because you were keeping it professional at all times. <clears throat> Until I, until I got in a locked door with a with a rapper, then I my aggression came out. You know, my true self. I would show my teeth. You know. Yeah, yeah. Cause you, cause they they come from that environment, so it, they're not going to be intimidated by it. Yeah, and I mean, I was just being my natural self. I just knew, even working at MTV, I had to kind of conceal more of who I was. So I wouldn't jeopardize or intimidate anybody there, you know? Because, you know, like my background alone was was bad. And these people were giving me a chance. I didn't want to ruin that. And I was so grateful for the opportunity. Like, you don't know what it's like to live in the project or even be on work release and tell people you work at MTV. That was a major fucking thing, you know? Yeah. Only people can dream. Like, like, like what jail did you go to? I bet you people were asking. <laughs> And you know the crazy thing is I was never an MTV employee. I was a freelance employee, but I worked every motherfucking day. Yeah. <laughs> That's hard to do as freelance, you know what I mean? Work yeah. every day, year. So, you know, I was able to take, take the work I wanted and turn down what I wanted, but I made sure that I worked to the point where I knew even if I had the lowest position at the job, they needed me. My position was that I did it that well where they're going to need me. Yeah, show your value, show where your value is needed too because like, it's it just shows like the appreciation because not a lot of people they're appreciative too. They're like, I'm just here for the check. It's like, they're going to need me. I'm going to show my value regardless. Yeah. Um, now, I've, I've always been that way at any job I work. I, I, I try to make it to where, you know, I'm a person where I'm into the job. No matter what I'm doing, I want to do it right. You know, I want to excel here. I want to. I want my day to go by smoothly. So I'm going to involve myself in the work that I'm doing. So, you know, I've always made sure that to make the job dependent on me. Like, you're going to depend on me to function. No matter what, even if I'm working in Burger King, I'm going to make sure that it's not the same when I'm here, when I'm not here. Because, yeah. like, for the people listening, too, like, if you have had a good job for a while, there's always that one employee that you like seeing, too. It's like, oh, that's my guy right there. I bet you you were that guy when everyone says, like, oh, Thursday. Oh, uh, maybe. Maybe yes or no, because another thing, I was very quiet. I ain't, I really didn't speak much to anyone. Oh, really? Okay. For a long time, like, I just didn't want to speak to anyone. You know, because I know when, when I open my mouth, I'm like, yeah, you know what I mean? We're gonna, gonna, you know, I didn't want to be that way. Yeah. You know, so I just, I really shied away from a lot of people. I would sit by myself on this side, and, you know, during lunch. Like, I didn't want to expose too much of myself and get this opportunity taken away from me. Like, there was times, like, I remember, you know, you know, I remember I told you I came to, to work dressed like a worker all the time. I never came fly or nothing, but we were on sets where 
you know, different famous gangster rappers would come and they know me. And, you know, my, the people at my job would be like, how you know these guys? And shit like that. I remember, like, when, when Helter Skelter came by one day, and, you know, they, oh, wow. you know, people I grew up with. So it's like, you know, how you, they ask me, how do you know these guys? Because, you know, they show me a lot of love and respect mm-hmm. meanwhile I'm here working, you know? Yeah, because for the people who don't know it too, you uh, you're from Brownsville, Brooklyn, and that's where Sean Price and Sean Price and Rock are from. Mm-hmm. Now, um, now, now, the, when the Lyricist Lounge show came into play too, how did MTV approach you about being a part of that show, Thurston? Now, because like you said, you were a real quiet guy too, but you were a cast member and a host. Yeah, but at this point, by the time um, Lyricist Lounge came in '99. Okay. I, I I I had quit MTV when my mother passed away. I oh, quit. Oh, okay. So uh, I quit the job. So I came back uh, to MTV through Lyricist Lounge, but as a cast member and things like that. It had it had no affiliation to the job that I was doing before. That's... So it was shocking to for a lot of people to see me back. Now, as a, you know, a writer and a cast member and things like that. Yeah. You know, those people who actually knew me from being a production assistant. Yeah, because, like, that was the time when Rockers was popping, too. And that's crazy how, like, it kind of comes full circle, too. Like, when you quit, when your mom passed away, and then you're back as a cast member, no writer. Like, did that kind of ever, like, blow your mind, too, a little bit? Uh, yeah. I mean, it... it more when I saw the impact of people who knew me from the job, and they were like, what you doing here? Because we was also in California. Yes. So now I'm living in California, and, you know, I'm, I'm a cast member. I'm a writer. Like, I don't think nobody ever thought that. Now I'm wearing polo every day in their faces now. Yeah. yeah. Now, they, now they get it. Now they're like, wow, where's all, where all this polo come from every day? <laughs> where all these up? Like, yo. And now they're starting to find out who I am at the same time. So a lot of people didn't find out who I was until I left. And it really shocked the shit out of them. One guy I worked with, um, uh, Brian Cooper, good friend of mine still to this day, I worked with at MTV. He worked uh, with, he was a coordinator uh, in, on on-air promos. Okay. And one time, you know, we, we I, I had came to visit him at the office and I, I brought him my press kit and things, you know, stuff they never knew about me. And he looked at me and he said, wow, you were sitting under our noses the whole time. Like, you know, these are all people who also make content on their spare times. This is their job, but they all pursue their own personal things, you know? And, you know, when I worked there, I really had no interest in pursuing film whatsoever. I just, it was a good job because of where I was from. Yeah. I had no interest in film. So I didn't even realize how much knowledge I had for film once I left, you know? Wow. It's like, because, wow. That's, would you say destiny? Like, this was all destiny for this all to happen to you? Yeah. I totally believe everything right now is destiny. But, I, you know, I also helped guide my destiny. So it kind of went hand in hand. 
and now and like this is like where it really starts to come full circle too now you you come now you're from brownsville too now i understand that you embrace the fashion a lot too like you wore everything but you like with polo like polo really caught the like made an impact within hip-hop too and then all these years later they have a low life segment in the very ralph documentary Now, like, oh, go ahead, sir. Nah, I just said it's unbelievable to the world at this point. Now, when 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 HBO decided to have a low life segment too, like, and it was and it, you know, low lives, and if you don't, like, they made an impact within hip hop too. Now, when they came to you, like, did like that? I was like, wow, like. I used to work at MTV. Now this is very Ralph coming to me about this little segment in very Ralph. Yeah, well, it was actually uh, Susan Lacey, <clears throat> the director of the film, approached me to be interviewed for it. You know, she had researched me and things like that, and you know, she was really interested to do the interview. And even when I finished the interview that day, like we probably spoke for hours, you know, I was sitting there being interviewed for hours and she was like, wow, you know, you're nothing of what I expected was her words, you know, like you're nothing of what I expected. And, you know, she said at the end of that, like, this, this is what the film was missing. Wow. You know, I, I guess I brought a good contrast to the, to the situation. But I also presented it well, you know. I wasn't there to sit there and glorify the negative stuff we've done in the past. Yeah. Where we're just speaking of a culture we built and the way it was done. Dude, the craziest thing about me watching The Very Ralph, they played my music and I'm cursing. There's oh. not a single curse in that whole movie. And not to mention, they got me on there drinking a 40. Oh, wow. Like, if you, when you look at it again, you, you hear curses in my music, and then you see me sitting down drinking a 40 on the stoop. It's crazy. Jeez. Like, wow, the images they chose to put in there. You know, this is a clean-cut situation. Yeah. But they're showing, you know, they're showing us and who exactly we are in our true form at that time. But that, But I always say, like, you can't fake realness, too. So that's why I believe they chose those images the way they did, just to show the authenticness to it. Man, it's crazy, man. Now, um, oh, yeah, big congrats, too. Big congrats, too, because it's very well-deserved. Thank you, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Oh, anytime, Ken. Um, so I understand, too, that... Now, this is a lot of people that can't even say this, too. They got to witness this, too. Um... Eminem and Paul Rosenberg coming to your projects, but you got to see Paul Rosenberg rhyme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know he rhymed until he started jumping into the cipher. Okay. Now, and this is like, this is in Brownsville, Brooklyn at 2, 3 a.m. These ciphers are happening. Yeah, exactly. Wow, jeez. Now, now, was that different, like, seeing, like, two white guys pull up? Or, like, did you guys know of, the, like, their past and that? Because, like, this was, what, 98, 97? Uh, this was about 97. I mean, you know, you know, I'm, I'm basically a celebrity in my own projects without the rap, right? Give me one second, one second, one second. Oh, yeah, yeah, no worries. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh-huh. Yep. that like because his rhyme pattern must have been different too but like you got to see M's and Paul Rosenberg's growth throughout the years too like like you always knew they were that that nice from the beginning though but to see Eminem flourish too like like the song you guys recorded I understand you guys went to a liquor store and you guys didn't have that much money that day too but like you guys still went got the song done too and nowadays like he's a multi-millionaire like that that's crazy to have stories like that Oh, that's crazy, man. But you know, just seeing M M's rise and and standing next to him, you know, and seeing the whole process happen, and that's one of the reasons I never gave up because I I believe it's possible because I stood next to so many people that made it happen, and I realized, you know, it's it's just a matter of time before I get my chance or my shot. As long as I'm in it, I'm involved, and I'm doing it from my skill levels, you know what I mean? So so it was all, always inspiring to see how high he took off and, you know, and the, and the lift he took it to, man. Yeah. You know, so that's unbelievable, unbelievable shit. Yeah, because you guys both came from the underground too but you said something very inspiring in an interview too saying that um the underground helped carry this real hip-hop culture to where it is today too because... When mainstream wasn't going down, where did people look to for lyricism? The underground. Yeah, we were the life support of hip hop till this day. That, that's right. Because we we we're from the cultural perspective more than anything else. Like most of the people in the underground, I could say a lot of them probably not getting paid or making money. They're living it. It's their way of life. It's their culture. So that's what breathes the life into it and helps it, you know, continuously evolve, last this long, going into the next decades and millenniums and things like that, you know? That's the whole purpose of it. And I, I believe as an MC, even though I've never had a major situation with radio, airplay and all that, I played a big part in, in, in helping MCs evolve and things like that through the underground, you know? Yeah, that's a fact right there, too, because, like, if you look, like, even, like, with your albums, too, like, you have albums like Skill Against Island or Serial Killer or Low Down and Dirty with Rack Low. Do you have, like, any particular album that you refer artists to? He's like, go check this album out by me, shorty. Oh, it depends on what people are into, man, because, you know, I'm super versatile. Yes. So I, I always know that, you know, what are you into is what I ask somebody on. So I can tell you exactly what you like, what you're into. You know, my versatility is that big, man. So it's like even these DJs, I'm like, yo, you know, I'm, I don't have records that are spinning anywhere. None of my records ever been broken. But I have every form of hit record you can imagine. It's just that I don't have the machine behind me pushing it to 
give it that, but, you know, my catalog says it all. I have everything an artist would, would love in music, no matter what genre you're into. I know how to cater, and I know how to also bring you into my world instead of catering about anything, you know? Yeah. And that's what we do with real life music, you know, telling the stories and the music. I brought people into my world. And to me, that's what's always made a great artist. Like, you know, a lot of artists cater just so they could be on top or be in whatever position. Like, I know how to cater, but I'm going to focus on bringing you into my world. That's that's always the agenda. Fuck what you're used to. This is this is what you ain't heard. This is what you ain't seen. You know, that's where I'm at with it. And that's what I believe where people will gravitate to something new and that they never seen before too because we, we get the same thing mostly every day. It's only once in a while we get something new. Yeah, I mean, I think every time I drop, I'm giving you something new. You know, my, my latest release this week is the Don't Teach Our Home Project. Yes, I, I've never seen nothing like that in hip-hop. You know? Where it's that much salsa and that much hardcore hip-hop combined. I like how you said that too, salsa and hip hop combined. Yeah, and it's crazy. It's, it's, it's still hardcore. Smoothed out, bilingual. You can be white, Chinese, Spanish, whatever, and you won't get lost in the album. Yeah. You can listen to it, even if you don't speak Spanish. So. Did that album come together like somewhat like coming together like a vibe to you? Or did you always want to do it a combination between salsa and hip hop too? I like how you said that too, because when I was checking that out, I was like, man, this is a combination of salsa and hip hop. I mean, I've done that from the beginning of my career. It's something I was always into. You know, it was, uh, it was something I felt nobody was really doing. So I always went that route with it. But it wasn't like the idea. I just constantly work on music, man. I tell people this all the time. I don't work on a project. I work on music all the time. So when I feel I put feel like putting out a project, I'll just pick from my from my Both. you know from, from catalog from from my files and see what should go together for 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 a project, and then I'll just put all those together and throw something out. And that that was happening with the Spanish one as well, you know. I was basically recording and recording and recording until I figured out, oh, let me put all these pieces together. This is a project right here. Okay. Now, you you embrace the underground to the fullest, too, because that's where you're from as well, too. Um, one of my favorite rappers, and he spoke very highly about you to me, uh, Bishop Lamont. Have you ever met Bishop Lamont? I've, I've never even heard of him. Okay, well, he used to be signed to Dr. Dre, and then um, in 2005... Wow. Yeah. Oh, I will actually pull it up. Just give me a couple seconds. But yeah, um, uh, well, I'm looking for this. Um, he he's a he's a super lyricist guy, man. Like this guy was signed to Dr. Dre, but he never dropped. But when this guy rapped, whoo, it was like some dark, spiritual, poetic man. This guy was crazy with it. But what he said too is, um. You are a super underground legend and know more of the above, too. And you would definitely be a great person to talk to. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank nice. you, I appreciate that. Oh, anytime. Hey, let him know, I'm always here, too, when he's ready to work, you know, because I'm, I'm a workhorse. So when you feel that good about me and your skill levels are like that, holla. Oh, yeah. show the world. I'd love to see that, too. Um, <laughs> With you 
also becoming an artist too. Now every artist has to have a DJ too. Um, what was the date you made PF cutting your DJ, or that's family from the start? Nah, um, I actually started. Uh, I got a beat CD one time. Beat tape somebody gave me, and it was PF. Um, this writer from Stretch Magazine named DT had gave me a, a tape. So when I had got the game record situation, I, I popped that tape in and listened to it and chose a beat. And that's where the Polo Rican beat came from. So after me and PF worked on that song, we became good friends, man. Like, we started hanging out, you know, more than doing music. Uh, some of my first trips cross seas and all that, you know, I was going with PF to help him take his records and things like that. So we developed a really good friendship, man. And, and we just started working together all the time, man. There was a time where I yo, I need a DJ for the show. He's like, yo, why you don't ask me? And I'm like, I don't know. I'd be thinking, you know, you're not going to DJ for nobody else besides Blase at the time. Because, you know, even after he DJed for me so much, so long, he became Sean Price DJ after that. Because there were times where, um, you know, he was DJing for me, and we were going to do shows with, with, with boot camp and things like that. And they saw exactly what we was doing. As what PF has the DJ, you know, you shutting it down. Yeah. Okay. So like, so for the people too, like PF Cotton's a real DJ. He's not one of those ox DJs too. Like that's what I refer to as a real DJ. Yeah, he's the truth. PF is probably the best DJ. You know, I've been around that I could say I witnessed skill-wise with my own eyes. His skills are ridiculous. Like, where he is cutting, scratching, tricks, blending. Like, he's one of those DJs. That's a real DJ to me. You know, got the, he got the skills. He's a skill set DJ. Even his work of OC on Opium, too. I was like, God damn, these beats are like something out of the 80s. When I heard that Opium project by him and OC, my mind lost it. Yeah, nah, he's a, he's a beast, man. Nah. Somebody I'll probably be working with all my life. You know, he just also did the Don't Teach Our Home project. He he uh mixed all the songs together for me to make it in a mixtape format. Yes, sir. I seen that, too. And that's why I was going to ask my next question, too. Now, since you will always work with him throughout your career. Say that again? You will always work with him throughout your career, you said. Yeah, I mean, I, I work with the, all the people who showed me love, man, and who was real craftsmen and dedicated to their art, you know? And I think most of the people I work with are masters. And I try to keep myself, you know, close to these masters that I've worked with throughout the years because not only are they the skilled utmost with the skills, they know how I think and exactly how I would want things when we're working together. So it's just, it's just organic, you know, and Pete is one of those dudes. Yes, sir, and he was. Now, for you um, appearing on Drink Traps, too, and seeing the success that Noriega has been through, too, the first time you ever seen Nori, was it Super Thug, or, did, or was it The War Report, too? Because to see where he came from, that now he's doing hip-hop media, is inspiring. I remember uh, there was times I remember opening for Nori in upstate New wow. York when the when the M O R E album dropped. You know, um, 
And, and, you know, I always respected that he always pushed his Latin roots to the forefront. He, it was something he always was proud of and, and announced on all his stuff. He was one of the first rappers really adding the bilingual stuff in the stuff. He did it more than Pun and Joe. Yeah. Me, you know, mentioning, you know, Spanish terms, being Puerto Rican and all that. So, I mean, I was always proud to see stuff like that. But also, you know, EFN is my dude, though. That's that's somebody who's been my friend for a long time. Like, I've had a relationship with, you know? Yeah. And even seeing his rise, because, you know, he was basically in Miami, somebody feeding that underground, keeping hip-hop alive, pushing hip-hop forward, introducing you to Miami artists and things like that. And, you know, for a very long time, and to see him get his just due in, in the dream champs, I'm so you know, it made me happy, man, because that guy deserves it all, if you ask me. Yeah, well, and then for them to come together, too, the chemistry is crazy, too. Like, even when your episode was on there, too, like, it was just all chemistry. Like, the way that all three of you talk, it felt like the listeners are in the same room as you guys. Yeah. Now, um, I have uh, one more question for you, Thurston Howell the Third, and I'll let you go, sir. Um, for the people who really look up to you, and there may be somebody listening, one of your fans, or maybe somebody who just found you through the Very Well Flow documentary. Um, for every person I answer this, they, I ask this question to, everybody has a different way of answering it, too. So with that being said, do you have any words for somebody in a dark place trying to see the light? Never give up. That's some of the greatest thing I've ever heard, you know, like never give up. Everybody gets their time. Uh, you got to be in it to win it. All those phrases make so much sense when you don't give up on yourself or your craft. Uh, watch inspiring stories from other people. Watch the Benny Hill life story and look how long some of these people took to actually even get in the door of something they want to do. Look at Samuel L. Jackson's story. Uh, you know, look at, um, what's his name? Uh, Jim Carrey's story. Like, look what these people went through and, and, and the hardships they were having in their lives and they never put down their crafts for one second, believing in themselves. And eventually they made it to what they wanted to be and beyond their expectations. You know, so never give up on yourself, no matter what somebody tells you or, you know, like believe in yourself and work hard for it and you will get whatever you want out of life. You see, I like how you answered that way, too. Watch inspiring stories and stuff like that, too. Because when I watch interviews, I love when the artist has something inspirational to say. It doesn't matter what part of the interview, though. But that's the whole reason why I asked that. I saved that for the end of the interview, too. It's just the perfect way of ending it off, too. Because it's just the way that you said, too. Like, inspiring stories. Like, there may be somebody who just looks right up to you and they hear that, too. And it changes their whole life. So, I appreciate you sharing that, Thurston Howell III. Oh, man, like I said, man, I, I, there was a point in life where somebody told me that and did all the same thing for me. And I'm just doing my job of giving it back, man. You're a real one, Mr. Thurston. How we need more people like you in this world. 
Well, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Anytime. Is there anything that you'd like to plug in before I let you go? Uh, you know, I'm here. Just let the world know. Um, ThurstonHowardIII.com. You know, check out the music. If you're not familiar, check the catalog. Watch all my films, Thurston Howard III on YouTube. Um, you know, I'm just here to live the culture, man, and represent it as a religion. And, 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 and you know, and help inspire people and try to do my best and do the right thing and look positive and, and you know, just be great at what I love, man. You know? And, and thank you, everybody who supported me. Thank you, everybody who made the Ralph Lauren picture go viral on the internet. You know, thank you, everybody who supported, you know, rest in peace, all my little life brothers who didn't get to see this day, you know, and, you know, my, my parents and everybody else, you know, I just, you know, I hope I made my people proud, even, you know, my Puerto Rican people, my black people. I, I hope I represented properly for y'all and everything I've done and continue to do so, you know. And with that being said, this is the most humbling soul. I ever talked to, and, I, and I, I'm going on record and saying that it's the most humbling soul I ever talked to, my whole time podcasting, another classic wow. interview from the desk low, featuring my guy, Thurston Howell III. Yeah, love and love, and I still want to hear that, uh, that interview from uh, the Dre artist you were telling me about. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I would definitely get right on that to you, sir. All right. And it, and, and, and it wasn't an interview. It was just a DM me and him going back and forth, sir. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Yes, sir. So I'll definitely, after, after, after all this stop recording, we'll get into it. All right. I appreciate that. All right. With that being said, another classic interview from the desk low featuring my guy, Thurston Howell III. All right. You already know.